Paul, the apostle, he's still in the city of Ephesus. He's preached the gospel. He's told people about Jesus, the way of Jesus, and the resurrection. Um, Some people have mocked him. Some people have quite violently rejected his message. Others have received it and become followers of Jesus themselves. And a church, a community centered around Jesus has been birthed in the city of Ephesus. And this is where we pick up, still in Ephesus with Paul. Chapter 19, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And this is, this is crazy. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin was, were carried away to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, this is actually kind of funny, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. This is a scene out of the exorcist. Over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Next slide. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named uh, Skeva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit left on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Okay, that's, that's a prayer meeting gone slightly sideways. <laughs> Could you imagine? They come home. Sons, how was, the, how was the prayer meeting? Well, I'm going to need some new trousers, Dad. It got a little out of hand. This, this is just weird. Like, I just got to say it. Like, that is really weird. Um, probably not going to be church precedent number 14. Um, it's interesting that, and you need to kind of back up. We need a little bit of context here. We've been going slowly, bit by bit, through the book of Acts. So unfortunately, we do lose a bit of context along the way. But if I can help us, what we're finding here in Acts, Luke, the historian that's, that's penned the, the account of Paul's journeys here, um, is, is, is taking us around the corner. We're transitioning a little bit. So far, we've kind of just been tracking with Paul. He, he's gone on a couple of missionary journeys around the Mediterranean. He's even got as far as into the Roman Empire. And everywhere he's going, he's simply he's going to synagogues. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's spreading the news about this Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, who died on the cross for the sins of the world, overcame death, and now is reigning as the living king of the universe. And he's going from city to city. In fact, you can still see our cities here from last week, from Athens to Corinth to Ephesus to, um, someone's added a B down here. Uh, This looks like a child's drawing. Forgive me if if you're an adult and you you drew this. It was probably my little girl if I had to guess. What was there? There was something there. Anyways, what is it? 
thank you, Caesarea, not B. I'm like, no, not, not Berea. Caesarea to Antioch. Eventually, Paul made his way back up to Ephesus. We were introduced to Apollos, who ended up camping out in Corinth. And this is probably the last few chapters of Acts. Now Luke is emphasizing something specific. What he's highlighting here is that what was happening, what Paul was doing wasn't merely propagating a new philosophy, a religious idea. He wasn't simply waxing philosophical or trying to uh, kick off a new sort of um, new way of living. Now, to be sure, he was doing that, but he wasn't merely sharing ideas. Something powerful was happening. Let me, let me read this to you, because I want to word it right. What we're being told, what is being described to us is the announcement of the inauguration of a new kingdom. A spiritual kingdom, one in which the old decaying system of death and oppression has been overthrown and is now being displaced by a new kingdom under the rule of a new authority, a new king. King Jesus. The one who conquered sin and death to bring about freedom and new life to those who were once living under the fading reign of darkness. And the physical healing, the deliverance from bondage that Luke's highlighting is meant to emphasize the fact that this new kingdom isn't merely some kind of metaphor for us to simply ponder or, or, or think about. It's a reality that's breaking into real people's lives. Luke is describing the effects of real power. Spiritual forces of darkness being overcome by the presence of the spirit. That is wherever the authority of the new king and his kingdom is announced and established. Their people are experiencing the reality of the king's power. It's not just an idea that Paul's offering people to think about. He's proclaiming a truth, he's demonstrating a way, but in the wake of that, people are experiencing an actual breaking out of a new kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is touching down. And people are experiencing that in very real ways. The blind are receiving their sight. People who are under demonic oppression are being set free. To use Paul's own words elsewhere, he says, uh, he, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. He says, for he disarmed the demonic rulers and authorities of darkness and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That is Jesus on the cross. And elsewhere he says, for the kingdom of God does not merely consist of words, but in power. Which is why Jesus himself, on the day that he began his own ministry in the world, 
declared that he had come to proclaim liberty to the oppressed and healing to the blind. Not just with words of wisdom, but equally in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. How do you feel about that? You feeling it? I pose the question because I'm, I'm quite aware in my experience, this is the bit where some of us, some people, start to feel a little um, uncomfortable. Like this isn't incredibly practical Bible stuff. This is, this, is, this, is, this is getting out there. We're talking about spiritual forces of darkness. We're talking about invisible kingdoms, powers, deliverance. How do you feel about that? I grew up in, in a church, a wonderful church, great church, grateful to have grown up in it. Um, it was slightly boring. I'm to reflect a little bit on that. Um, I don't recall anyone ever talking about this kind of stuff. And maybe I was just sleeping through that. bit. I think I probably would have woken up because that, that may have actually intrigued me. But most of what I do remember is more to do with, here's some practical ways to like, apply Bible to your life, which is great. That's, I mean, that's, that's wonderful, helpful. But we would have to skip over a whole lot to miss what I think is the, is the, the bigger picture, the underlying reality that's meant to give us reason to to want to apply the practical stuff. Um, you may have noticed this. You may, you may have heard, heard me even say it once or twice before. If you, look at, if you look at Paul's other writings in particular, if you do a bit of a survey through the New Testament, you'll find in every one of his letters to the different churches that he helped to establish around this area we're talking about, there's tons of, of, of moral instruction Ethical exhortation, Paul explaining in, in sometimes very specific detail like what the Christian life should actually look like, how you should be acting, what you should be wearing. I mean, everything from like how you do your hair to how you forgive your neighbor. I mean, it gets incredibly practical. But you'll do very well to note that in the New Testament, moral exhortation is always preceded by gospel proclamation. The context is that before Paul goes on to give examples of how the spiritual looks lived out naturally, practically, he always reminds us that this is the reality. This is who God is. This is what he's accomplished in Christ on the cross. These are the implications of the new kingdom that's now breaking out, the one in which Jesus is the head. The church, by the way, just to kind of fit us into the picture, we are not the kingdom of God. Thank God. There's something much better coming. Okay? We're not Israel. Okay? Israel is, is an actual nation that somehow still exists to this day. still there. We're not Israel. Okay, we are the church. 
We are the bride of Christ. We are meant to be a sign that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, has come and is coming. And every once in a while, we hope, every once in a while, if someone was to somehow peer in through one of these little windows, as if they could actually see through them, they might catch a glimpse, a small sign that the kingdom is in fact breaking out. There is a spiritual reality that seems to occasionally um, manifest, if I can use the word, among God's people. Healing, deliverance. What do you think about that? Now my encouragement to you, whatever you think about that, however that might make you feel, try and... Try and have some sense of self-awareness in terms of where you're coming from, your own biases. Gosh, when I actually became a Christian, so I grew up in this, this wonderful Baptist, slightly boring but wonderful Baptist church, and, uh, and I'm not bashing Baptist, this just happens to be where I grew up, and, uh, and then I eventually went on my way, and I kind of lost the point and was not interested in Jesus at all. And then, when I was 24 years old, I was finishing my final year uh, doing my math degree at Cal State Long Beach, and someone in, kind of invited me to this Christian meeting. I heard someone preach the gospel and proclaim that God had a plan for my life. When I think about it now, it almost sounds cool, but also a bit cheesy, <laughs> but God used it. God just grabbed a hold of my heart in the most unexpected, uninvited way and just did something. The kingdom of God seemed to break out in my own little heart somehow. And then I ended up getting stuck into this church. And I remember going to my first prayer meeting. And uh, I had never been to a prayer meeting like this before in my life. Now, there were not itinerant exorcists attempting to, to do anything like that. Um, but the way, it was, it was a men's only prayer meeting. And you guys ever used to watch like WWF back in the, you remember, what's it called now? WWE. It used to be called WWF, like back in the 80s. And uh, you guys remember like, um, what was his name? Obviously Hulk Hogan. Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant. Who was the guy um, that just passed a couple of years ago? Not the Ultimate Warrior, he was awesome. Randy Savage, macho man, Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's kind of like the scene of this prayer meeting that I experienced. It was like we circled around, and these men were praying like there was about to be a smackdown. Like this was about to turn into a cage match with the devil. And I remember thinking like, hey, this is the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> but I kind of like it. <laughs> like, this is just, I just don't know what to, I don't know, is this right? Like, I, I'm not quite sure this aligns with the Bible, but it's, it's, it's entertaining. And, and I, I just, I didn't know any different, so I, I totally went with it. Totally went with it. Um, now, I'm not proposing that this is, this is where we want to go, okay? I'm just saying I had a couple of experiences in my own spiritual journey 
um, that in two totally different ways have, have caused me to, to really wrestle with how do I feel about this, this spiritual reality, this, this idea that we can't miss in the scriptures of a spiritual kingdom being inaugurated and spiritual forces of darkness being displaced by the light of Jesus. We need to embrace it. At the very least, we need to begin thinking about what does this look like in my own life? And as I think about the practical aspects of applying the way of Jesus in my everyday life, how does that, how does that fit together with with the reality of God's invisible kingdom touching down in my world, in my life. What does that look like? How can I experience more of that? Are you guys with me? So, what does this mean for us? I'm going to leave you hanging right there. Two, two points, two simple points. Number one, the decision to follow Jesus is a decision to participate in a spiritual reality. Beyond merely thinking about spiritual principles, um, beyond even merely finding ways to practically apply those principles in our lives. It is those things, as I said, but it is so much more. It is an invitation to participate in the life of Jesus himself, which is why Paul says, when I died to myself, I, I, was, I, I experienced a life that was not my own, but it was Jesus in me. This is what he said to the Ephesians. And we're called to participate in that. Which, by the way, I think says some pretty significant things about the meaning of prayer in our lives. Prayer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, I'm going to confess now, has probably been one of the hardest areas of my life to maintain with any level of consistency since I became a Christian. Now, I don't know if maybe there's like spiritual forces of darkness that are like trying to keep me from that. I wouldn't be surprised at all, actually. But it's been extremely difficult to just like keep that going. And one of the reasons is, I believe, is that I seem to consistently forget how utterly powerful a discipline it is to come before my God and talk to him to ask him to be even more involved in my life and the challenges and the hopes and the dreams and the fears that I have. I was uh, walking my dog to Safeway Saturday night and uh, Shirley and I were in the process of possibly buying a house. Long story, like it, we've sort of accidentally started buying a house. It's the weirdest thing and it's, it's got me really, really nervous. I'm stressed out, I'm not gonna lie. I'll repent when it's all done. I'm not supposed to worry, right? Um, and I called my dad a couple times along the way. He's bought in several homes. They have rentals, and they've done really good with all of that. And I was about to pick up my phone, and I felt like my heavenly father 
whisper to my heart, hey, I would would be more than happy to talk to you right now. You need some wisdom? Oh, I got wisdom. You need some comfort? I can comfort you. Are you looking for peace? Talk to me. And it was like for just a moment, I actually forgot that I can come to the creator of the universe in prayer and spill my guts, get help, gain wisdom, overcome impossible situations because nothing is impossible for my God, my Father. Seems like the most basic, fundamental aspect of Christianity. And yet, how many times do we just like forget? Gosh, I, I should like get with my father. I should talk to my God a lot more. Life could get interesting. Second point. Part of that spiritual, spiritual reality that we're called to participate in involves learning to stand firm in the midst of spiritual conflict. Hey, this is the part where people maybe get like really nervous. Participating in the spiritual reality, the kingdom that's been inaugurated, that's crashing into this world, involves standing firm in the midst of spiritual conflict. And by the way, there are very practical, natural implications to this, uh, this spiritual conflict. Uh, let's, let's read on a little bit, actually, because we're given an immediate example. So, still in Ephesus, fast forward just a couple of verses. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, that is, the way of Jesus. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines, of Artemis brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus but in almost all of Asia this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying the gods made with hands are not gods. That's true. And there is a danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged. And it says that the entire city was in confusion. Eventually, the town clerk had to intervene. He said, Look, you guys need to stop. You need to disperse. We're this close to being charged with rioting. You want the Roman army to shut this down. I call this an idle riot. When we make the decision to participate in the spiritual reality, the life of Jesus that he's called us to live, Get ready for an idol riot. When I was a little kid, I accidentally uh, sat on a hornet's nest. Have you ever done that? 
we used to go uh, camping, my family and I, same place every year, and there was these giant stumps. I guess there were redwoods that had been cut down or fallen down and cut off. And there was this one I would go to every year and had this little, like, like a built-in slide. It was really smooth. Ran straight there, climbed up this stump, jumped down the slide, and landed straight on this hornet's nest. I don't know how many times I got stung. Um, sometimes, part of participating in the life of Jesus involves hopefully not sitting on, maybe drop-kicking a hornet's nest in the spirit. We mustn't be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. Whether you're comfortable with any of this or not, guys, we mustn't be ignorant. We mustn't be unaware. We mustn't be in denial about the reality that following Jesus is actually a call to battle. How do you feel about that? I kind of like it, but I'm the guy who's like into the WWF like prayer meeting. Now, to be fair, guys, I think one of the reasons why oftentimes we people can get quite uncomfortable about this sort of stuff, which, and the reason why I was tempted to just skip right over it, um, is because some of you have experienced uh, abuse in this area. Um, manipulation, emotionalism, charismatic leaders sort of using their charismatic ways to, uh, to manipulate people and sort of stir them up into this sort of emotional frenzy and call it spirituality, call it spiritual warfare. Um, and I've actually seen some serious damage, emotional damage done to innocent people, trusting Christians who got caught up in some funky stuff. Stuff stuff that someone called, well, this is just spiritual warfare. This is just the devil. No, it's not. No, it's not. You're sick and you need to go to the doctor. You don't need the devil cast out of you. You need an aspirin. I just had coffee with a a friend of mine yesterday yesterday morning, and he's not a Christian, uh, but he's like exploring, super open, just has so many questions. And in in the the conversation, he ended up telling me, when he was younger, his uh, mom had decided that they, he needed to take him and his siblings uh, to their local church and get the devils cast out of them. And it was traumatic. Absolutely. Now, okay, to be fair, I've thought about casting devils out of my kids. But something happens when it's like 3 a.m. in the morning, your like, infant is just screaming. The mind goes to dark places. <laughs> Bless you. But I just, I want to I acknowledge the fact that there, there is spiritual abuse out there, and I'm deeply, deeply sorry if you've been a victim of that yourself. I, I would love to pray for you. I'd love to, to walk with you as slowly and as gently as, as you need to help you process through some of that so that perhaps you can come to just a fresh view of the scriptures and experience of the life of Jesus in a way that, that it was meant to be experienced. So I don't want to freak anyone out. I don't want to, I don't want to cause you to uh, flash back because of maybe some trauma that you experienced. Um, no one needs to be pressured to do anything they're just simply not ready for. 
but I don't want us to miss what Jesus is calling us to participate in. Let me ask, let me ask this question, and then we'll finish. Why didn't the exorcism work for the itinerant Jewish exorcists? Clearly, they had, they had heard about Jesus. Um, they were apparently open enough to, to Jesus to think, well, maybe we'll, like, maybe we'll give it a go. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll try praying for someone. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can cast the devil out, and, and we'll use this name. seems to be working great for this guy named Paul. Let's give it a go. And um, clearly, they, they, were, they were missing something. It didn't work for them. Why? Faith. Now I asked the question, I asked the question in the context of standing firm in the midst of spiritual conflict. How do we do that? How do we win? If you maybe perhaps you found your I was just having a chat this morning. What, what, what is the spiritual climate like in Portland? Now I'm not from Portland, so I have a bit of a, a um, a fresh perspective, if you will, coming into the city. I spent a long time in the UK, had a quick stop off in California, spent a year in Corvallis, came up to Portland once a week for almost an entire year, and then we moved here, and it was like, I, I, I can't quite put it into words, but I felt it. There is a distinct spiritual climate in this city, like any city, but there, there is something here. How do we stand firm as children of God? The Bible says the children of God are protected by the Spirit of God. How do we win? How do we fight? How do we fight the good fight of faith, as Paul puts it? Well, apparently there's more to it than just simply invoking the name of Jesus. That is a perfect example of spiritual manipulation. There's another more archaic word for it. It's called witchcraft. It's this idea of, let me somehow use God or the name of Jesus to somehow leverage something in the quote-unquote spirit realm so as to achieve some spiritual end. Jesus is not our magic wand. He's not our genie in the bottle. He's our God. And the reason why these itinerant Jewish, it wasn't because they were Jewish. Paul was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. He was the Jewish Messiah. Um, it was because they were trying to use Jesus as if he was um, some sort of spiritual means to an end. Guys, that's not Christianity. That's not good news. That's actually really, really bad news. There's nothing freeing about that. This brings us to church precedent number 14. You guys remember that? It's called the principle of proximity. In the community of Jesus, relational intimacy always precedes spiritual power. Or in other words, the power of Jesus, the victory of Jesus, overcoming in Jesus is experienced 
the closer to him we get. It's about relationship with God, not about using him as if he's our spiritual magic wand. The principle works in the same way. You could say uh, spiritual maturity equals relational maturity or vice versa. We grow. We experience greater degrees of the spirit, the presence of God and the freedom wherever the spirit resides, the closer we get to him. The reason why the itinerant Jewish exorcists were chased out of the house naked is because I said naked, <laughs> was because they didn't know him. Or perhaps Jesus would have said, I didn't know them. How do we win? How do we stand firm um, as we attempt to participate in the life, the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God in our lives in this city? We draw close to Jesus. We abide in Jesus. We rest in Jesus. We trust in Jesus. We set our eyes on Jesus. We talk to Jesus. We lean on Jesus. It's Jesus who is our champion. He is the one who overcomes every scheme, weapon, battle, because he has overcome. Indisputable. He did it. He came back from the dead. Guys, I want to be the kind of church that for sure is not somehow detached from like the practical, everyday realities of life. Uh, like, we don't need that. Portland doesn't need that. We don't, we don't need to be living up there someplace. We need, we need our feet firmly on the ground. But I want to be the kind of church that as we go about practical things and, and our practical everyday aspects of life, that we're talking to our Father that we're realizing that there is a spiritual reality in our lives, in this city, in the world that Jesus is calling us to participate in and that when we pray, we're doing more than just thinking good thoughts. We're doing more than just sort of, you know, positive self-affirmation. We're talking to our Father, our King, our God. And it is the most powerful thing we could possibly do with our lives, I believe. Um, now, at this point, I, I just cannot resist uh, plugging our 6 a.m. prayer meeting. Some of you have already heard about this. You're like, look, I'm never going in a million years, so just <laughs> give up. Fine, whatever. We'll, we'll pray for you. How about that? <laughs> but we've been meeting, a small group of us um, have been meeting here at 6 a.m. every Tuesday morning. Um, and... Honestly, it's pro I feel like it's one of the most productive hours of my entire week. And I'm, I'm, I don't mean that as an exaggeration. We gather, I hate it, don't get me wrong. Like, 6 a.m. just comes way, way too soon. Um, but I come and I brew coffee because that's biblical. 
I'm so, so tempted to tell you my stupid coffee joke. I'll tell you Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. if you come. Actually, I'm not going to be here this week. I have to confess. <laughs> Dang it. I did not think this through. I'm going to be in Canada this week, but we will still be praying at 6 a.m., okay? I will be here in the spirit. I'll be praying in Canada. No, no coffee joke. Guys, can we stand together? Band, would you mind coming up? We're going we're gonna to close in a, a worship song, obviously, as you can see. And guys, let's just take advantage of these last two or three minutes to um, focus on what the Holy Spirit would, would say to each one of us. Uh, let's, let's actually practice this for a second. Let's, let's remind ourselves uh, that the Spirit of God is present. The Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is healing. Uh, perhaps you need healing. Perhaps you need deliverance. Let's be open to that. Let's lean into that. Perhaps that might look quite practical. In fact, I don't think it's helpful at all to, to draw these sort of stark distinctions between, well, this is sort of the secular and this is the spiritual. Um, in fact, I don't really think that's even biblical. Perhaps God would speak to you now and, and encourage you to, to bless someone here in this room. Uh, perhaps it, it, it may not look, feel, sound spiritual at all, but it is absolutely God leading you, moving, causing his kingdom to break out signs of that spiritual reality manifesting in the people of God. Let me close with this. Hebrews chapter four. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest to rest in Jesus because we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us draw near to our King.